In the name of Jesus, amen. Uh, The Old Testament reading for today came from the book of Jonah, actually just about six verses of the book of Jonah. Uh, now, usually, usually you can you can spin a, a pretty good sermon out of just a handful of verses, but it's it's harder to do that with with Jonah. Jonah is one of those stories that you kind of need to hear the whole story to really get any of it. In fact, it might be uh, right to say that hearing only a part of Jonah is is like hearing only part of a joke. So a minister, a priest, and a rabbi walk into a bar. Dot, dot, dot. Uh, Now now a creative type could spin something just out of that. Um, uh, Someone might even make a sermon on that about the uh, significance of of interfaith dialogue. Isn't it great that these fellows are are walking in together? Or if you wanted to go dark, perhaps you could use that part of a joke to lament the alarming prevalence of alcoholism amongst the clergy, which is actually true. Walking into a bar, they really shouldn't be doing that. Or maybe if you're cynical, maybe if you're cynical, you could go on about the laziness of the clergy. It's great to be them. They can go into a bar in the middle of the afternoon while the rest of you working stills with real jobs don't have the luxury. You could spin something out of the part of a joke, but without the punchline... My favorite is the one about the rabbi, the bear, and circumcision, but you can Google it. But without the punchline, you, you miss the, the full effect. And so it is with this. So it is with this book of Jonah, with our reading from Jonah. We got a part of Jonah, six verses, and of course you can't really say the word Jonah without a whole flood of images coming to you, either from, from Sunday school or perhaps from the VeggieTales uh, video when you, you saw Jonah played uh, masterfully by Archibald Asparagus. You know the story, you know, Jonah comes to mind, you think about the great fish or whale that God sent to rescue Jonah because Jonah was running away and so he got thrown overboard. He was running away because he didn't want to go and preach to those scary, nasty Ninevites. And even with that background and a little bit of the story we get from Jonah chapter 3, you could, you could spin a sermon out of that. You could talk about the, the power of the word of God that could transform and change the hearts even of Ninevites which is good and true and worthy of praise. Or if you wanted to hone in on a single word, you could look at that word in verse 10 where it says, and God relented of the disaster he made. And, and, and a preacher could say, well, you know that word for relented there of God, whenever it's used of people in the Bible, it's always repented, translated that way, or changed their mind. That the unchangeable God changes his mind. And then you could go on and say, but every time that God relents slash repents in the Bible, it's always from a bad thing to a good thing. God never changes his mind in the other direction. When God changes his mind, it's always from disaster to grace, which is something worth thinking upon, that you should think upon. But even that is still to miss the full joke that is the book of Jonah. For that, actually, we just need one more verse. 
If our assigned reading had just given us one more verse after where ours ended, which was with, God saw what they did, they turned from their evil, God relented slash repented of the disaster he had said he would do to them, and he did not do it. Very next verse. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. To which you say, what? He goes to Nineveh. He preaches the word of God. The people hear it. They turn to the living God, and Jonah rejoices. No, Jonah is ticked off. (laughs) And there is your punchline. Or maybe better to say, it's kind of like the, uh, the I see dead people moment in that movie, The Sixth Sense, when you realize that Bruce Willis's character has actually been a dead ghost the whole time. So you have to rethink everything in the movie and say, oh, now I see what was going on. So with the book of Jonah. When you see Jonah's reaction to what happened in Nineveh, you have to look back at everything, even the, the stuff we know about, like that fish story. The God sent a fish to rescue Jonah. When well, Jonah's reaction, you see that Jonah didn't really want to be rescued. <laughs> Actually, if you look back to the way that Jonah talked in the first chapter, we won't do this, you see that Jonah very much, he wanted to get thrown overboard. He wasn't looking for a rescue because he would rather die. He would rather die than see the Ninevites mercy. He did not flee from Nineveh because he thought that the Ninevites were so darn nasty. He fled from Nineveh because he knew that God was so darn good and could not bear the thought of God being good to the Ninevites. He even says as much in 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 another verse. says, therefore, now, Lord, please take my life. After the Ninevites repent, uh, Jonah says, that's it, kill me. I'd rather die than have a mercy Ninevite. Even the preaching, that wonderful preaching, right, that must have been great, that the Ninevites really uh, latched onto that and changed. Even the preaching we hear in a different light. After getting spit out by the fish, Jonah goes up on the, on the shore. He makes his way to Nineveh, probably seaweed still in his head with a kind of, fine, I'll go then. <laughs> probably with the same voice that you used to use as a kid when your parents forced you to apologize to one of your siblings. You didn't really want to. You'd say, fine, I'm sorry which is the voice that I imagine Jonah preaching the worst, most unwilling sermon of all time in. Goes into Nineveh. Nineveh, God's going to overthrow you in 40 days. Not exactly winsome speech, but what happens? Jonah's worst, worst nightmare. The whole city, top to bottom, puts on sackcloth, repents, and turns to the living God. Our text actually left out the funniest part of the whole book, I think. (laughs) Verses 7, 8, 9, it turns out that not only the people of Nineveh repented and put on sackcloth and ashes, but the animals too. (laughs) It says the animals put on sackcloth or were clothed in sackcloth and repented. It'd be like if you were sent on some forced evangelism trip to some people you hated. You get to the door, and before you get the first syllable of Jesus out of your mouth, not only the whole family is demanding baptism, But Fido is barking out the Lord's Prayer. (laughs) And your pet turtle has folded her hands. It's Jonah's worst nightmare. He's got to say, you've got to be kidding me. I would rather die. I would rather die than see these people graced. He's apoplectic about the whole thing. It's quite the story. 
Quite the, quite the joke. I imagine that when God's people of old, his cherished people, the apple of his eye, Israel, gathered to, to hear stories like this one, that there were lots of belly laughs. <laughs> Probably bits of the story that we don't even quite catch that they would have, they would have gotten. But I also imagine that it was belly laughs that as the story began to sink in, slowly turned to uncomfortable chuckles as they realized that the joke wasn't just being told to them, but the joke was on them. When they realized that what the Spirit of God was telling them through this funny, maybe not funny story, was that if knowing they were the apple of God's eye wasn't enough, that they also needed to know that somebody else was the rat under his foot, that that was a problem. That if their being loved and cherished was somehow made more satisfying by the knowledge that some others were not as loved or as cherished, that was a problem. Because a lie. For God so loved the world, we say. You know, when you you hear it that way, (laughs) as funny as the, the book of Jonah is, it might elicit some uncomfortable chuckles even from the people of God these days. We can probably think of extreme examples. Extreme examples closer to our day when the story of Jonah needs to be told. I'm sure once upon a time I've, I've told the, the, uh, the story of the, the, the Lutheran chaplain in World War II, Henry Garricky was his name. The guy who was sent to be the, the chaplain to the, uh, the Nazi war criminals in Nuremberg before and then during their trial. How there was a large and angry reaction to the very thought of sending a chaplain to those horrendous people. The thought of wasting God's word on a bunch of mass murderers, an angry reaction. I mean, what, 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 if, what if they hear the grace and the goodness of God and it moves in their hearts and they change so that they go through the trial and ultimately to the gallows, graced and forgiven, heaven-bound children of God? Which scandal of scandals is precisely what happened with many of them. Of course, that's an extreme example. <laughs> uh, closer to home, maybe it's, maybe it's just the idea of pardon for the other guy that we have trouble with. It's good for me, the grace and the mercy, the love of God, it showers over us and it is our, it is our very joy. But for everyone, maybe without all the, the Jonah-esque hyperbole, that can just rub us wrong. Maybe it's just a part of our general messed upness is that somehow pardon and forgiveness tastes sweeter when it's being denied to somebody else. I don't know if this exactly fits, but the other day I heard some people talking about the the presidential pardons. This is not political at all. Make that clear. Every single president in recent history has issued a whole bunch of these, some more, some less, all of them tainted with the shadow of cronyism, all of them granted to people who needed a pardon because they did something wrong. And yet still, at the end of every term, approximately half the population is up in arms that those nasty folks 
always much nastier than the victims who were pardoned by their guy four or eight years before. Up in arms at the idea of these nasty folks getting a pardon. And we could maybe talk about the legitimacy of that whole system itself, but for me, I'm most interested in the up in arms, maybe not quite, but almost, I'd rather die reaction to them. The reaction to the other guy's nasties getting pardoned. Because I'm pretty sure that that reveals, that reaction reveals a fair bit of all of our inner Jonah's. That we all have our share of Ninevites, whom we have a really hard time seeing and even rejoicing in as objects of the grace and mercy and forgiveness of God. That is funny, (laughs) and it is funny, as the story of Jonah is. The joke's on us, too. And also for us. The joke is on us. But the joke is also for us. For you see, believe it or not, you're not just a Jonah. You're also a Ninevite. As nasty as you are, and we all have our share of nastiness, you are just so an object of the grace and mercy and forgiveness and love of God. I began that little bit on Jonah saying, well, you don't really get the whole thing of Jonah by a few verses. You need the whole story to get Jonah, which that's not even quite true itself. (laughs) Even the whole book of Jonah isn't really the whole story. In fact, if we were to go through the whole thing, we would discover that the story really isn't about God getting through to the Ninevites, that the story is really about God breaking through the pride and anger and jealousy of Jonah. But even by the end of the book, we're not sure whether that's a success or not. But that's not where your story ends. Once upon a time, the greater Jonah, Jesus, was asked for a sign. He was asked for a sign from some people around him. He said, give us a sign to show us, to prove to us the kind of Messiah you are. And Jesus responded, he said, I will give you no sign except the sign of Jonah. And when he said that, I'm pretty sure that he did not only mean the part about just as Jonah was in the belly of a fish for three days, so he would be in the belly of the earth three days. But I think Jesus, when he responded that way, he had the whole story of Jonah in mind. When he said the only sign you'll get is the sign of Jonah, he responded that way so as to say, I am the kind of Messiah who welcomes both nasty Ninevites and jilted Jonah's alike. I'm the kind of Messiah who, rather than running away from the nasties, runs right up to them with open arms. I'm the kind of Messiah who says, I would rather die than see those nasty mercies. He's the kind of Messiah who says, I would rather die than bear the unbearable sadness of being apart from any of those beloved children of God. I'm the kind of Messiah who even when Jonah and the Ninevites conspire to kill me, after three days in the belly of the earth, vomited up on the shore from death, will go on preaching forgiveness and life and salvation and mercy and hope and welcome and joy to Jonah's and the Ninevites alike. Which is very good news. 
because we are all a messy mix of both. Beloved messes. No joke. (laughs) In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.